Well, hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Colossians chapter 1. And if you have it on your phone or your iPad or uh, you have an old-fashioned book, uh, a Bible there, we would love for you to turn with us. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get you one. You can go to our Next Steps area, and they will give you one. But if you want to follow along, follow along on the screen. Let's stand as we read God's Word, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 24. This is Paul writing to the church of Colossae under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, say these words with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You may be seated. I don't know what kind of movies you watch, but have you ever seen the Mission Impossible movies? It's a $4 billion movie franchise. I mean, listen, you can get a full workout watching those things. Uh, it's a spinoff of the TV show, but it's, uh, you have Ethan Hunt, who is played by Tom Cruise, and we're not talking his theology today, just say that right out now. <laughs> Ethan Hunt is uh, the main character, and uh, he accepts missions that are impossible. And so the, the mission is sent to him on some sort of self-destructing device. And at the very beginning is those famous words, your mission, should you choose to accept it. And in each of these movies, like I said, it's a nonstop, just action-packed. And you see intense suffering. You see insurmountable challenges. You see crazy car rides. You, you just see things that just are not normal for one human being to do to fulfill the mission. And so that's what he does, is he fulfills the mission, he saves the world, and he kisses the girl. And, and listen, that's Mission Impossible. That's all the movies. So you don't really have to watch any. Just know that's what happens, okay? <laughs> and watching these movies, like, why would anyone go through what, they, what, what, what Ethan Hunt goes through? Why would they go through the suffering? Why would they go through the pain? Why would they go through all the trouble? Here's the answer. To Ethan Hunt... The mission is worth the sacrifice. You know, we're, we're drawn to, to movies like this. We're, we're drawn to action thrillers because we are inspired by people who are willing to face impossible challenges to fulfill a mission that's bigger than themselves. Well, if you are a born-again, spirit-filled, good-and-saved Christian, you are a part of a mission that's bigger than yourself. It's mission possible even though it seems impossible. And, and because you are saved to be on mission, you, you're going to face some what seems to be impossible situations, and you're going to hear many voices trying to tell you to give up. But here's what I contend today. When you know who Jesus is, and when you know what Jesus has done for you, and when you know what Jesus wants to do through you, that gives you the strength to keep going. Because the mission's worth the sacrifice. 
Now, Paul here is writing. We, we take for granted when we read the Bible that this is just something done in a galaxy far, far away. But here is a man in real time who is really in jail. It wasn't Camp Cupcake. It wasn't the good ship Lollipop. Paul was suffering in jail, and yet he hears of this young, growing church, a church in a town called Colossae, and he's, he's heard about their faith, he's heard about their love, and he's heard about the unshakable hope that they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, and he's concerned because every time God blesses a church, every time God blesses a life, Satan wants to blast it. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly, but Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy some of y'all felt that this week. Can I get a witness? And so with that being said, Paul here is dealing with those who are coming into the church. See, it's not the woodpeckers that destroy the church on the outside. It's often the termites on the inside that'll eat it up from the inside out. And there were termites who had gotten into the church of Colossae, and they were not denying the importance of Jesus. What they were doing is they were trying to dethrone Jesus from everyone's life. They were saying, you know, Jesus isn't really all you need. Jesus isn't supreme over all. And matter of fact, here's what you need to do. So Paul here is writing to this young church people he's never met before, and he wants to reinforce to them the truths of the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. But also, Paul's got to address the smack talk amongst the termites. Because some of those people were saying, you know what? You shouldn't listen to Paul because Paul's in prison. And if Paul is such a man of God, why would he be in prison? So Paul is going to write to address the knuckleheads, because haters always hate, and he's going to share with them why he's in prison, why he's suffering. And what Paul's going to say to them then is really what we should understand about our lives today, because what is real for Paul should be real for you and me. And the sentence I'm going to give to you as we look through this text should be the same sentence for you if you are a child of God. Here's what we're going to see. Here's what we're going to learn today. That Paul was a servant of God who is suffering, uh, pardon me, Paul is a servant of Christ who is suffering for Christ in the strength of Christ. Let me redo that again because I want to make sure that you understand what I'm going to try to teach this morning, and that is this, is that Paul or Alan is a servant of Christ who is suffering for Christ in the strength of Christ. You can say that for you as well. So let's unpack what that means. Number one, a servant of Christ. Verse 24, he says, now, now points back. I've said all this stuff, now this. And so now points back, and what he's pointing back to is what he's just taught them about who Jesus is, but he's also pointing back to this one little statement he made that I am a minister of the gospel. He says that you were once aliens, strangers, enemies of God. But now because of Jesus, those who were once enemies of God are now a part of the family of God. And it's that glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I am a minister of. Now, that word minister is the Greek word diakonos. We get our word deacon from it. It could also be translated servant or slave. This is not a position. This is a personal demeanor. Paul saw himself as an unworthy servant of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 25 that I have received a ministry according to the stewardship from God, that I am a minister according to the stewardship, that to Paul, this was not a choice, this was a calling. This was not a job, this was a lifestyle. 
If you are here today and you are a Christian and you are breathing, say amen. Amen. Then that means that you are in full-time ministry. You are called to represent King Jesus everywhere you go. Because once you have been rescued by Jesus, you are now called to be on the rescue team with Jesus. See, Paul's calling is what caused him to view everything through. Because there's a difference between a calling and a job. You remember where your first job was? My first job was at Arby's. I don't eat often at Arby's anymore. When I was 15, my mom and dad said, said, said son, you've you got to get a job if you, want a, if you want a vehicle. Nothing was given, okay? I didn't come out with a Bentley, all right? Just telling you straight up. My parents said, you can have a Tesla if you want what color, okay? Didn't happen. So you want, you got to work, amen? The Bible says a man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. If a kid doesn't work, shouldn't drive, amen. Right? We might have church this morning, all right? (laughs) So my first job was at Arby's. This was, so it was after football season, after school, I would, I would work and I would work on some Saturdays because I wouldn't work on Sundays. And we had the manager that we lovingly, we named her Dragon Lady. (laughs) She was down to about two packs of cigarettes a day. And she would say this, if you've got time to lean, you got time to clean. So that was my first job. Let me tell you something. I never stayed late. I never showed up too early. I did when I, I worked when I was supposed to work. I took my breaks when I was supposed to take my breaks. And I'll tell you straight up, I never thought about Arby's when I wasn't at Arby's. The only time I ever thought about Arby's when I wasn't at Arby's is when I was thinking of how I could call in sick so I didn't have to go to Arby's. <laughs> I lasted three months and I quit. You know why? It wasn't a calling. What in the color? <laughs> Paul said, this is not a job. This is a calling. I'm a minister. I'm a servant. And this is a stewardship. You know what a stewardship is? Stewardship is something that's given to you that's not for you, but it's for the sake of someone else. Paul says here that this ministry of being a servant was given to me, but it wasn't for me. He says here, it was given to me for you. That this sucker is not about me, it's for him, and whatever he wants is what I'm going to do, and he wants me to serve you, so I'm going to serve you. That's why he says in verse 24 and verse 25, I'm doing this for the sake of others, and I'm doing this for the sake of his body, the church. Here's my question. We live in Southwest Florida. Do you see yourself primarily as a servant or a consumer? Like when you came to church this morning, did you primarily see Did you ask this question? Did you say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Or did you say, God, what are you going to do for me today? Like, like, are you a servant for the mission of the church? Or are you primarily a beneficiary of the ministries of the church? You know what I found? You want to know how much of a servant you are? You'll never know how much of a servant you are until you're treated like one. See, we live in a day of entitlement. We have an entitlement culture. 
Not a servant culture, an entitlement culture. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. We believe down here in Southwest Florida that everything should go our way. And we get frustrated when people don't see how special we think we are. And we get upset when we don't feel like we are treated as if we are special because we believe that everyone should acknowledge our contribution and our efforts and to thank us. Our natural default mode is that song from Moana, you're welcome. (laughs) Because we think it's about us. We think it's for us. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not a celebrity. I'm a servant. Verse 25c, this ministry was to make the word of God fully known. My assignment is to take the whole gospel to the whole world. If you are a believer, you are commissioned by Jesus to serve others and to share the gospel. That is a command and a commission to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. But within that is an individual assignment. There's a general call, but then there's a special call. There's a special assignment. And so for you today, the question is not if I am called, but where and how am I called? Some of you have special assignments. I mean, think about this. You know, this morning we had seven people who were sick and weren't able to serve in our preschool ministry. We praise God for people who serve in our preschool ministry. Amen? Okay. So they are called to share the gospel, but they have a specific assignment to to two-year-olds, and I praise God for that, because if not, this would be a very loud room right now. There'd be kids running around, doing dirt devils in the floor. It would be crazy. Where are you called to serve? What is your specific assignment? How do you glorify God and serve others? You know, I've done some personal... uh, introspection and worked with some coaches to help me understand my personal calling. And so I'm going to share it with you is that Alan Brumbach glorifies God and serves others by mobilizing hope in Jesus to broken people everywhere. That's my calling is to mobilize hope. I'm a hope dealer. Okay. (laughs) This is based on my gifting personality and interest. And yet my, that's my special calling, but even more, I'm a, I am called to mobilize hope here in Naples to reach the nations. What's your calling? And are you a servant? See, Paul was a servant of Christ, suffering for Christ. Now we get to the, really, the text. He says in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Now I read that and I'm like, Paul, have you lost your mind? Have you gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Why are you rejoicing in the pain. Now, normally we rejoice when we eat good food. We rejoice when we have good weather. We rejoice when our team wins a game, but we don't rejoice in suffering. Paul here is rejoicing in his suffering. I mean, the question is, is Paul so spiritual that he doesn't care about his freedom or his comfort? Or is Paul being so Pollyannish that he's oblivious to what's going on around him? And the answer is no, Here's what I think is going on in Paul's mind at this moment. This is just my speculation. Paul here is remembering his calling from Jesus. I love the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 9, 22 and in 26, Paul, we get the call, the calling of the apostle Paul. Paul, before he became Paul, was the persecutor formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. 
Saul of Tarsus was a religious fanatic. He was hell-bent on destroying Christianity. And so he would put Christians in chains, drag them to town, and consent to their execution. And one day, he was on his way to Damascus. And as he was going his way, he ran into Yahweh, and that changed his way forever. And so Jesus struck him blind, and when Paul opened his eyes, he was open to a new identity and a new calling to reach the Gentiles for Jesus Christ. I mean, that would be like God calling Osama bin Laden when bin Laden was alive. And yet, when God called him in Acts chapter 9, 16, Paul knew from the beginning that he was called to suffer because Jesus said, you will suffer for my namesake. Here's the reality. When you become a Christian, you have to understand you will suffer for the sake of his name. A servant of Christ will suffer for Christ just like Christ. Suffering is not unusual for Christianity. It is the normal. And I'll tell you this, even though suffering is normal, it's still very complicated. Because some of you are suffering. And there are different kinds of suffering. I want to rehearse to you some different kinds of suffering. There's Adamic suffering, which is just suffering that comes from living in a fallen, broken world. There's demonic suffering. That is, if you're a child of God, you can never be possessed by the devil, but you may be oppressed by him. There's victim suffering in which someone else sins against you and you become a victim. There's collective suffering in which you are part of a people group, a ethnic group, or have a certain skin pigmentation in which people will collectively lump you into one and hurt you and do all kinds of evil to you. That's suffering. There's disciplinary suffering in which God wants to expand you by disciplining you and grow you through the pain. There's persecution The Bible says all who live for Christ will suffer persecution. This is persecution for your faith. And I'll tell you that we are living in a day of increasing persecution, and the persecution has gotten really, really difficult. You say, well, how? Here's one thing, and I shared this the first service, and I was hesitant to share this service, but I think I need to. Here lately, I've been getting a lot of people asking me because they have family members or even children or grandchildren who are gay, and they are getting married or going through something that they call marriage, And they want to know, pastor, should I attend that? And and here's what I'll say. As for me, I won't. And, And the reason why is not that I hate them, is that I love them too much to do it. And I will tell you, and I'm not gonna be ugly to you or tell you exactly what you're supposed to do, but that's where I'm standing at today. Because I believe that I cannot consent to something that is an affront to a holy God. But some people will say, well, pastor, if I do that, then my kids will hate me. And here's what I would say, that's persecution for the name of Christ. It just is. The heat's gonna get turned up for the church. There's empathetic suffering. That is because you love someone else and they're suffering, you hurt for them. There's testimonial suffering, which like persecution, but maybe because you at your job stand for the name of Jesus, you might get a demotion or not get a promotion, or you might even lose your job for it. There's providential suffering, just like Joseph, who didn't understand what God was doing, that God had a bigger dream and a bigger plan for Joseph that did involve pain, but yet God used that pain for, to fulfill his bigger purposes. There's mysterious suffering in which we just don't know. 
There's punishment that comes as a result of sin, which is consequential suffering, which comes as a result of God allowing us just to live out the consequences of living in a broken world. And then there's apocalyptic sin or apocalyptic suffering, which just happens by living in the last days. Here's what you understand. Suffering is not unusual, but it's very complicated. Because sometimes you suffer because it's your fault. And sometimes you suffer because it's partly your fault. And sometimes you suffer because it's not your fault at all. And what you see in the Apostle Paul is that he endured all kinds of suffering. I mean, think about this. Paul had a resume of suffering. You know, sometimes I love it around church, especially when you get with some older men. You have older men who will sit around the table and talk about what's wrong with them. So this guy says, man, I've got a really bad issue with shingles. And oh, you think your shingles are bad. My gout is terrible. And they kind of one-up each other on their pain and suffering. Well, Paul the apostle, he's got a heck of a resume. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes last one. Now, the reason why is because in Jewish law, if you got 40 lashes, it would, most people would die, so they just gave you 39. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, now that's not the Rocky Mountain High, okay? <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, 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 in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxieties for all the churches. Of all of the physical pain, I have the emotional pain of caring for all the churches. So I thought about this, this this week. Imagine if someone did, at the time of Paul's death, an autopsy of his body. He could have had multiple causes of death. I mean, how many vertebrae would be out of alignment? How many scars would you see on his back? I mean, think about that. 39 lashes, three times that happened to him. Five times that happened to him. What would his hands and feet look like? How skinny and frail would his body be? How many teeth would he be missing? You know, as American Christians, how much have we really suffered for Jesus? Listen, we live in Disney World. And this is why people are crossing rivers and hopping fences to get here. And for some of you, most of you, when you think you're suffering for Jesus is if it's raining outside and you decide to go to church that day and you gotta walk in the rain. Or for some people, you're like, man, I'm suffering for Jesus. I had to walk 200 feet further because our parking lot was so full. Or some of you, man, I'm suffering for Jesus because I got to my normal seat and someone was there before me. Or I'm suffering for Jesus because I came here to worship in this nice air-conditioned room, but the volume was just a little loud. Or some of you feel like you're suffering for Jesus if your mocha latte was too cold this morning. We are weak need when it comes. We would not survive in the first century. Paul suffered. But yet he's not rejoicing in the suffering itself. I mean, he was not a masochist. He was rejoicing in the result that came from the suffering. J.D. Greer put it this way. This is a good quote. He says, joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. 
So when I was in football, we would do two-a-days, and it was terrible, but it made us a better team. For a while, I was a CrossFitter. You know the one thing about CrossFitters? They always tell you they were in CrossFit. <laughs> the workout would be hard, but the results were worth it. Think about those of you who have experienced childbirth. I've never experienced it, but I've witnessed it three times, and it seemed terrible. As a matter of fact, how would anybody voluntarily go through that and then at the end call it beautiful? And I would say almost every mom in this room would. Why? Because the baby is worth it. Well, Paul says, I'm rejoicing not the fact that I'm getting beaten, not for the sake of suffering. I'm rejoicing in what happens from the suffering. He says in verse 24, this is a very hard verse. He says, for, uh, for in my flesh, I'm feeling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, what in the world does that mean? Have you ever got to something in the Bible and you're like, what does that mean? You're not alone. So here's what you do. When you come to a verse that's unclear, you go to verses that are clear. Because what false teachers love to do is they love to take verses that are unclear, twist them to fit their own agenda. So let Scripture unfold Scripture. So here's what he's not saying. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus finished the work on the cross for our salvation. That when Jesus said it is finished, he didn't mean let's get it started. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That seems pretty finished to me. So what does Paul mean here? Well, he doesn't mean that he's gotta do more for people to be saved by adding to Jesus' death. What he is saying here is that what is lacking is that even though Jesus Christ has died and the work is finished, not everyone has heard about it. So Paul says that it is through his suffering that he becomes the personal, bodily, costly presentation of Christ's work for them. And that the work of Christ is still ongoing to this day, and that is all believers are called to get the good news to everyone everywhere. So put Martin Luther put it this way. He says, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. And so Paul says that I'm rejoicing in my suffering because I'm a part of what God is doing to reach the world. But yet you have to understand suffering is the price of admission for the advancement of the gospel. Suffering is how God ordained to bring salvation to the world and those to whom God has called, he is calling them to suffer. Jesus first suffered for us, now he is calling us to suffer with him. So John Piper put it this way, he says, world missions and evangelism is the incarnation of the love of Christ's work on the cross and the suffering of his servants. What was he suffering for? What was he trying to advance? He was trying to advance the mystery. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for, all, for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. He was saying, 
I am now going to do whatever I can so that everyone can know the mystery. Ooh, mystery. We're not talking Bigfoot here. See, in the Old Testament, the mystery was only seen in shadows and signs and hints. But now it has been fully revealed in Christ. What's the mystery? The mystery is that all people everywhere can have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A mystery that was once concealed, hidden for ages, is now revealed in the person of Jesus and is to be proclaimed to everyone everywhere. What is that mystery again? Here's what he says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That what Paul was willing to leverage and suffer for is so that everyone and everywhere can know that if they trust and surrender their lives to Jesus, that Christ lives in them and they have the hope of glory. See, what we've got to get out to the world is that if you come to that place where you stop going your way and you trust in Jesus's way and you surrender your life to him, that Christ then lives in you. That the cosmic Lord of creation and the exalted Lord of the church lives in you. And here's the thing, Jesus is not embarrassed to live in me. That's good news. That if you give your life to Jesus, Jesus lives in you. And when Jesus lives in you, you have the hope of glory. And here's why that's a big deal. Stay with me. We live in a world of pain. We live in a world of suffering. I mean, think about just your week. Think about this past year. Think about all the pain and the problems you have. And here's what I found. A lot of people see that their suffering is their identity. Because some of you have gone through hell, some of you have gone through heartache, some of you have gone through heartbreak, and you are living in that, and you are uh, uh, wallowing in that, and you find your identity in that. But if you have Christ in you, Christ is your identity, not your suffering. And if suffering is not your identity, then it means it's also not your eternity. That because Christ is your identity, heaven is your eternity. Because what you've got to understand today that if you have Christ, there is glory on the other side of the pain. And that's the news that this world needs. That's the greatest thing we can share. Piper again says that the greatest cause in the world is joyfully rescuing people from hell, meeting their earthly needs, making them glad in God, and doing it with a kind, serious pleasure that makes Christ look like the treasure he is. Do you understand that God has revealed to us that Jesus is the only answer to every problem in this world? Donald Trump is not the answer to this world. Joe Biden is not the answer to this world. Ron DeSantis is not the answer to this world. Nikki Haley is not the answer to this world. Jesus is the answer to this world. And our job is to make him known to everyone, everywhere, no matter the cost. You know, I serve as a trustee for the International Mission Board. We have thousands of missionaries scattered all around the, the world. This week I was speaking to one of our 
members, one of our personnel in another country who used to serve in another country. And in 2014, he and all of his colleagues had to flee that country because there was civil war. There's still civil war there and they were murdering Christians. Yet he is still kept in contact with some believers there and even newer believers and thank God for technology. And the word on the street is that in this country, there are hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith. And that almost every day somebody is getting saved and believers are being baptized. And one particular guy I was able to make a connection with through my personnel and and, and I was able to hear through my friend his story. And here's what this guy said. He said, from the moment I trusted in Jesus, I knew I would face persecution. My name is found on the radicals watch list. They have a picture of me and my family. Sometimes they watch me. I am bombarded by threats, but all of this will not stop my ministry. The more threats I receive, the more eager I am to share Jesus. Now here's what he says. The suffering we face is temporary compared to those who are facing eternal suffering. He says, if we are lame or starving, this is temporary. What the people of this country need more than food and water is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this man's brothers and his cousins were captured by a militia group and imprisoned and just three months ago, by God's grace, were released through the prayers of the saints in this country. But you will not be that way if you're a consumer. If you just come to church to see what you can get from the church, you will not suffer for Christ. Paul says, I am a servant of Christ, suffering for Christ. But how in the world can you do this in the strength of Christ? Verse 28, in him we proclaim, we proclaim him. We warn everyone, we teach everyone. We, we are doing whatever we can to warn, proclaim, and teach everyone about Jesus so that they can find hope in him alone. Paul says that his goal, which we're gonna talk about in a couple weeks, is to present everyone mature in Christ, that his calling was not to be a celebrity, but his calling was to prepare people for eternity. Because he knew that everyone will one day stand before Jesus and he wanted to make sure that he told everybody about Jesus. And so he says in verse 29, for this I toil struggling. That that word toil and struggling are what Paul uses to describe what it feels like to do ministry. These words were actually words that were uh, associated with the Olympic games and particularly with competitions like wrestling. I've not really been much into wrestling. The Royal Rumble was yesterday, but that's just because I saw about it. I have no idea about wrestling, and that's not real, okay? <laughs> and so we have a, we have a wrestling program here in our academy. Um, Coach Griglio leads that, and some wonderful guys and gals are a part of that. And 
So the other day we had a competition here and I went to see what real wrestling looks like. It's not for the faint of heart, tell you that straight up, because it is hand-to-hand -hand Mortal Kombat. You have these young guys and young gals and they are there and, and I just imagine in those few minutes, they are using so much energy, they are expending energy and this is one of the most exhausting things I've ever seen. There are puke buckets everywhere, blood, sweat, tears. I mean, it is this person, you are literally trying to do everything you can to pin the other person. And when just, when you think you're going to pin them, they get out. And I said, that's ministry right there. <laughs> that's ministry. Here's what you got. Listen, ministry is simple, but it's not easy. Life is complex. It's hard. Endless demands, sleepless nights, headaches and heartaches. And Paul says that he is struggling, listen to these words, with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. I am a servant of Christ, suffering for Christ in the ministry and it is Jesus' energy working in my life. See, for Paul, it was Christ in him that was the hope of glory. Paul knew that in himself he could not, but in Christ he could. That's why he says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand that if you're a Christian, you've been crucified with Christ? But yet... Christ didn't stay dead, neither do you. You've been raised with him, and yet the life that you live is now the resurrected life. It's Christ who lives in you, and the life that you live, you, you live by the power that you have because he loves you. Have you ever woken up in the morning, thought about all the things that you had to do that day and wanted to give up? You know, the older I get, the, the more I realize how much I need to learn. It's amazing. If you're a younger person in the room, you're an idiot. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that 20 years ago. You're a flat out idiot. Because here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know. You know, what's that old song? I would, let's see. I would have known now what I didn't know. That. I can't remember it now. It, it'll come to me in the third service. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Wish I would have known then what I know, or wish I had known then what I know now. That's what it is, yeah. You know, the more I'm in ministry, I, the more inferior I feel. Um, some of you that are raising kids, any of you just feel like, man, I'm a terrible parent? You are. <laughs> it's hard, right? But that's where you have to remind yourself that the work God has called you to is ultimately done by him. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, I, I have to remind myself, I don't have to write the perfect sermons. I, I can't fix everyone's problems. But let me tell you something. There is one who created the universe 
who called each and every star by name, knows the number of hairs on our heads, walked on water, healed the hurting, fed the thousands, calmed the seas, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and that same one is living inside of you and me. And his strength is perfect when our strength is gone. And he'll carry us when we can't carry on. Because we've been raised in his power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. Listen, it's not what we can do for Christ, but what Christ can do through us that matters. I can't, he can. Now, I'm not telling you to live a passive life where you just sit on your blessed assurance until you die. I'm telling you to be working. And while you're working, you can rest that Jesus will do the greater work. And only in eternity will you know how Jesus powerfully worked in and through your efforts. Only in eternity will you know. Me in with this. Have you ever bought something or done something and you said, that was worth it? Or have you ever bought something and done something and said, man, that wasn't worth it? Like Sometimes like, man, I just lost 30 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. For something to be worthwhile means that it's worth your time and worth your effort to do something. And so what happens is when things get hard, when when things get challenging, it's very normal for us to say, is this really worth it? Like, is it it really worth it? Like, is it going to be worth it at the end? Or should I bail now? Let me tell you this. When it comes to serving Jesus, it's always worth it because he's always worth it. The mission's always worth it. I mean, is your kids knowing and treasuring Christ, is it worth it? Is your neighbor down the street who is hopeless and helpless, is he or she worth it? Is the person in the country I just spoke about, are they worth it? Think about this one thought. Do you know the reason why you are here and you have the hope of glory is because someone else thought you were worth it? Jesus thought you were worth it. And someone else Jesus used thought you were worth it as well. And that's why we've got to get the gospel to everyone everywhere. Because he's worth it. And by God's grace, they're worth it. And we don't have time to play games in the church anymore. Because we're just servants of Christ, suffering for Christ in the strength of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation of whoever believes. And God, I don't understand why some in this room are suffering the way they are. And I don't understand why some may suffer the way they will. But God, I pray that in the midst of their suffering, that you would show yourself strong to them. That in their toil and in their struggle, they would find that your energy is powerfully working in them. And Father, for those who do not know you as Savior, would today be the day? And God, would you help us to stop playing church and actually go out and be the church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. Very powerful song. Sing in here.